Hello everyone, you're tuning in to cmtopdog.com's AMA from the 28th of July with special guests Rico Flan and OD from OL, hosted by myself and Zeke. Enjoy. Alright guys, so this week we're just doing a strict AMA with the guys from OL. We have Rico and OD joining us, so uh, we'll save all the market recaps till next week. Um, as you heard just before we got started, we do have a text channel open. So if you guys want to list all your questions in there while uh, CM, Rico, and OD chat, I'll uh, read them out uh, at the end of their overview of things. And uh, anything we can pick their brains about, CM and I will jump in and try and get as much information out of them as we can. So CM, if you want to go over how OL came about to the community and how you found them. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks very much, Zeke. So I'll just give everyone that's here, because there's some new people, I'll give everyone a quick recap as to what led me to OL. And a lot of you will remember the early research videos on Facebook, the Global Stablecoin Project, Coin Libra, and following its collapse, I thought if I can follow this research, or even the money, it could lead to projects in crypto that are of particular interest. So we did have Facebook's research basically sold off to Silvergate for just under $200 million. And I've got the actual link here for your own reference. I'll put that in the chat channel now. Uh, but it didn't stop there. I also noticed some developers had left Facebook and they started a project called Aptos. Now, this is really relevant now. They'd originally raised $200 million of funding, but just in the last few days, they've received another mind-boggling $150 million. So the, the total raise for Aptos at the moment is a, a third of a billion, $350 million. There's a link on that as well for people. Um, so clearly there's a lot of interest in this type of technology that stems from Facebook, or now known as Meta. And this is when I came across OL. I'll give you the link for this here. Uh, but there's more information on this, but it's, it's the mission statement that, that really, really appeals to me on this. And I'll, I'll paste this in here as well. But th there's your sort of quick highlight. I, I've dug a lot deeper, but now we get to hear it all in a much more official and reliable manner, as I'm very, very happy to introduce both OD and Rico Flan, who work on OL. So I'll pass you on to the both of them. And again, if anyone has any questions throughout or even at the end, just please use the text chat and we'll do our best to, to get through to them. So I guess we'll, we'll start with you, OD. Take it away. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thanks. And thanks, CM and Zeke, for, for hosting us here. You have a lovely community. I mean, the people that cross over into OL's Discord are, are always. Uh, you know, very thoughtful people, very generous with their times and, and curious. So, um, yeah, I think it speaks a lot to the quality of this community. So uh, just the briefest background on me, I've been working in crypto for seven years now. I've been an entrepreneur for between 17, 18 years now. Um, I've done a number of things in crypto, but I'm mostly people have thought of me more as mechan in mechanism design. So economics and, um, well, mechanism design of, of blockchains, of, of layer one platforms. And I've, I also do engineering. So in, right now in OL, I'm an engineering lead, I guess you could say. Um, you'll see a lot of my commits in the GitHub repo 
and I organize, you know, the group of volunteers that work on, on OL. Uh, I'll leave that as my intro for now, but we'll, I guess we'll talk a little bit about how OL got started. But um, over to you, Rico. Thanks, Odie. Uh, and just for, you know, the people in the crowd, uh, what Odie leaves out is he's also an extremely proficient developer and probably one of the leading voices on move development outside of the actual move team itself. Uh, so he, he really undersold his tech strength there. So I'm, I'm just going to kick that out there, Odie. Uh, so I'm Rico Flan. Uh, I've been involved in crypto since late 2012, early 2013. Uh, mostly on the, the retail side, and by that I mean payment systems. Uh, I was also quite heavily engaged uh, around the idea of using uh, decentralized technologies uh, as a means of increasing financial inclusion and helping out humanitarian actors, uh, and indeed worked for a number of years as, as the director of emerging technology at, at a big humanitarian agency. Um, published a few white papers around the overlap of positive social impact and distributed architecture and digital currencies. Um, also was part of the uh, Libra slash DM initiative. Um, I was a member of a member company uh, that was part of the association and uh, I was the person that, that held the seats and represented the agency. And I also was elected to the uh, technical steering committee of that project. Uh, so I was, I was pretty dug in over there. Um, and in my day job, if you will, because I have to do something to pay the bills. Uh, I work in the Cosmos ecosystem uh, for one of the players over there that you guys would recognize, uh, working primarily on things related to foundations and uh, governance. Uh, back to you, Odie. Yeah, good. Um, CM, is that, uh, is that a bit too short? You want a bit more? Or should we tell a bit about how we got started on that? Uh, no, that, that that was perfect. Like, yeah, as um, Rico said, and the same for Rico as well. I think you both understate your your involvement and, and knowledge within crypto. Absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, a lot of people will, will just want to learn, probably, yeah, a, a bit more about yourself, but about OL itself. You know, the the tech background. A lot of people uh, unfamiliar with, with what Move actually is, what it does, and and. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, so I think there's there are a couple aspects of the story that people find interesting uh, about. And I think a lot of it has to do with how we got here. So, you know, in 2019, we were, you know, people who are, let's say, who are working on protocols, sort of leading protocol development in, in blockchain, kept hearing about, Friends of ours getting poached, taken into Facebook, or Facebook having these really strict NDAs with people that they were consulting for them. And so, but that didn't keep us from getting sort of information about what was cooking in Facebook. So we started hearing, some of us started hearing, well, you know, Facebook's actually building this, this you know, BFT network from scratch, you know, and they're building, developing a whole new smart contract language that can do something with it. And so as I got closer to, I think eventually there was a public announcement in June of 2019. But at that point, there were already, you know, a group of, I don't know, 20 or 30 of us, and for lack of a better word, crypto protocol developer insiders, um, who said, you know, there's something going to happen here. And 
one and so and, and it's probably going to land in one of two ways either facebook is going to launch a foundational technology that's going to be great for the ecosystem and uh, we want to understand it get our arms around that or two they're going to launch a corporate chain and do something that's going to be a walled garden but either one of those alternatives we're going to need to pronounce ourselves we're going to have to have an opinion about this when it comes out so um, and lo and behold, when Facebook announced what they were doing, a corporate a consortium and a stable coin and payment network, um, you know, in the first couple of days after they did that, or even on the day they did that, um, a group of people came out and said, look, we're going to get a collective of people together to ensure that there is a open alternative to what Facebook is doing. And the goal is that either this is going to be a very big ecosystem that's controlled by corporate that we're going to need to provide an alternative to, or the government's going to stop Facebook and there's going to be a lot of amazing technology that's going to be resulting from it and it's not going to have any owner. So that was the bet that people took three years ago. And, um, you know, it, it was, is, I guess, in, in Finance, you'll, you'll call it a caller strategy, right? You, you, you make money on both sides of the, of the, of the trade. So it, as it turned out, you know, the government stopped Facebook. And then there's this really amazing spaceship of a technology that was basically abandoned, so, so to speak. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm fast forwarding to, you know, a few, you know, maybe six months ago. Um, but we've been working on this for three years. So on the first week that Facebook announced their project, we forked it. Uh, a number of us forked it. And I, I mentioned this, there's, been, there's a lot of turn, turnover in, in real sort of decentralized organizations. So of the 20 or 30 people that were there originally, I think there are probably three or four active people today. You know? and, um, and that's normal. We've had people come and go uh, throughout. and you know, but we've been working, been, I've been one of the, you know, principal engineering people, and I've been working on the engineering for about two and a half years on, on the OL technologies. And, um, and so I guess the, the important thing here is that when we started this, there was a clear opportunity where there's going to be a lot of innovation on the infrastructural level. So basically all the R&D and all the engineering was already done by Facebook and was gonna be done by Facebook. So there was an opportunity to do something very different. Um, and as we, this is in the early days, so I'm still, I'm still in you know, summer of 2019. Um, you know, a lot of people came and went, investors came and talked to us, uh, nonprofits came to talk to us, but the thing that stuck out the most was that, um, the Red Cross, and but I'll be specific, the technology transformation team of the Red Cross, which is based out of the Danish Red Cross, came and talked to us and said, there's something here. There's something here for everyone, what, what, what you're doing with, with OL. And if you can do this in the right way, you'll be able to bring in many more partners than any corporate chain any VC-backed corporate chain would do. And so as we started exploring what that meant, and, and we brought in some very prominent 
uh, crypto lawyers, and you, you'd recognize their names in crypto Twitter. We started what would be the point of taking this and doing something powerful with it. And a, a lot of the answers came in mostly mechanism design and legal safety design. Um, so, and as, as I said, it's in passing. Red Cross has this very interesting tagline, which is uh, do no harm. So it informs a lot of their decisions. And so one of the things that was very important to us from the beginning is that if you are a blockchain that does no harm, and you can actually use this, these technologies as leverage for entrepreneurs and ordinary people, this is a very, that, this is a very massive opportunity. This, this is the mainstream opportunity for crypto. So, but what does that mean? It means you need to be safe from regulatory scrutiny for a number of reasons. But you basically just don't want your developers and partners looking over their shoulders at what, you know, in the United States, the SEC is going to do to your project. So legal safety, legal certainty was very important to us from the beginning, especially to engage the kinds of partners we were wanting to. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, if this is going to be a mainstream thing, if crypto is going to be mainstream, you have to produce a product that people understand and people want to be a part of. Um, and so those are the initial insights that we had and say, okay, so yes, we have this amazing technology, this spaceship that's just got the keys in the ignition. We don't have to spend a lot of money, raise any money for doing R&D and infrastructural stuff. So this really enables us to do something quite different and without uh, compromising on regulatory safety and giving customer, you know, giving the public what they want. Uh, and, and I think, it, it, you know, that was sort of our guiding light and how we can actually take this opportunity and make a really mainstream, actually mainstream crypto project. So I'll stop here. I mean, there's a lot of details in, in how we arrived at where we're at today, but um, that's the shortest explanation of like how this came to be. Um, maybe Rico, if you want to fill in from... Yeah, well, the, the, that was great. I mean, uh, it captures fundamentally what really the, the vision is, which is that it, it is driven by this desire to create something that is genuinely different at, at a very atomic level, right? And that relates to the organizational structures, the priorities, the approach to regulation and safety for members, and the approach to how we've capitalized the project. And that's something we can talk about more later on. Uh, in other words, staying away from the VC crowd, for example. But um, while that story is, to me, the most compelling, I also know a lot of people here are interested in the technology story, right? Uh, there now appears to be a legitimate family, if you will, a DM family of, of projects that are out in the market, from the incredibly well-funded Aptos uh, to Starcoin, which actually has been out there for a while out of the China market, if you don't know them. Uh, and of course, Mistin Labs, who uh, has on their team, you know, the, the founders of Move. Uh, now, admittedly, they're not doing a DM fork, uh, but they are doing something that's based around Move. So I, I would call them part of the DM family. Um, all of the news and excitement around Aptos and Mistin Labs is really sort of creating a halo effect that, that we're seeing ripples of right now on the OL side of things. And I think it hints at what is for us a strategy going forward, which is 
the ability to pick best in breed, the best of Aptos, the best of Mistin, the best of, of Starcoin, if the case may be, and find ways that we can incorporate that into something that is governed by the community and therefore addresses the community's needs as opposed to being driven by a VC and a demand for profitability, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the technology story also is quite sexy uh, and did want to mention that. Uh, over to you, uh, over. Actually, Rico, before you guys go to the next topic there, we have a question that uh, ties into that. Um, how is the interoperability and uh, compatibility with some of the other major blockchains other than the past stuff DM was working with? Yeah, so that gets quite into the weeds. Um, and and so I, we can't talk, I, I do want to talk about technology because it is very special. So I don't, I don't mean to underplay how significant oh, yeah if you can just tie it in how it how the interoperability yeah. is going to look in the future that's all yeah so i mean i usually back into this stuff from from a distance so so bear with me for a second but um i think it's important to recognize that what happened in the last 10 years to get us here you know blockchains to get to where they are today isn't necessarily going to be the strategy for a successful blockchain 10 years from now. So what we need to do in the next 10 years is not the same as what Bitcoin and ETH did in the last decade. So that's the first thing I'll say. Um, over the next decade, we're gonna see that infrastructure plays are gonna capture less of the value in the crypto spaces, is my bet. And this is just looking at how technology evolves in, in other platforms, right? So if you look at the internet and you go, you know, in the 80s, everybody was trying to figure out, you know, networking protocols, and they were trying to figure out client-server technologies and, and databases on clients. And so, you know, the big companies there that were being funded were things like Cisco and things like Oracle, things like that. But then in the 90s, what you started seeing is that all of the talent, so your, you know, where the salaries went, the high salaries went into the application layer. Right. And, and the stock options, you know, so it was like, it was the application layer companies that, um, that ended up growing exponentially. So that's, you know, in the nineties, you didn't want to be Cisco. You wanted to be Amazon. And so the same thing just, and that happens with every, every successive set of technologies and with crypto is going to be the same. So when I say, when I, when I, so I'm, I'd be remiss if I didn't say like, I'm, I'm, usually pushing back against the fetishization of technologies and infrastructure. But that said, where we are right now, 2022, infrastructure is important. Technology is important. And we need to use it to cross into the world of crypto in five years, where the infrastructure is a commodity. And where I see the crypto infrastructure being in five years' time is that it all looks similar to basically what DM, Libra DM built in Facebook. So everything is going to kind of converge on, 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 on models of what, of what DM has created. And so I, I can be specific about, a little bit more specific, but I think basically um, all, it's going to require a big computer science um, discovery for us to get something much better than BFT consensus on chains, the voting style consensus, which you have in, in Cosmos, Algorand, 
you know, Definity, basically everything that's launched since 2018. Um, um, and the the other thing that you're going to see is our you can see monolithic chains. So I don't actually believe in the in the you know multi-chain world. I think you're going to see chains that manage that figure out how to do concurrent transactions. And VM has a, 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 an interesting concurrency strategy. Dewey from from Miston has a different concurrency strategy, but they're it, you know they share a lot of uh, a lot of ideas. And then you're going to have to have distributed rights to undistributed databases, and that's still kind of being sorted out. But when you get those three things together, um, and oh, sorry, I didn't say this, and you're going to need a, a smart contract and, and virtual machine that is, is safe, a smart contract language that is, that is very safe. And, um, you know, as we say in, in in crypto that don't give people foot guns, you know, that only serve to shoot people in the foot. So I, so when you put all these things together, it's going to, whatever happens in, two, in you know, five years from now, is everything is going to look very similar to kind of where DM is today. And of course, DM is going to evolve these, these technologies. And other blockchains are going to move in that direction as well. So any infrastructural advantage of any blockchain is going to start getting much narrower from now until everything is going to kind of use very similar technologies. And the same goes for bridges. So you're asking about interoperability. I think the same thing is going to happen with bridges where there's going to be an interoperability standard, something like in Cosmos, they have IBC, um, and it's a smart um, inter interchain messaging format and that might be, become the the protocol and so once you when you tie all these things together and you, and you you standardize blockchain is gonna standardize it at some point um you're going to want to have built something else with your chain you want to want to have created value with your chain some other way not just from uh selling block space not just from selling transactions so i'm just hinting at something at how i see something happening in the future but what I want to highlight is what's so special about the DM opportunity is that all of the R&D that has been done, I mean, Facebook spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this between you know, salaries and stock options and for the managers and engineers and lawyers for, for DM. So you know, all of this R&D we can take and accelerate us towards a time when you know, infrastructure is commoditized and use that as our, as our launch pad. So as our booster rocket, so to speak, for for uh, even the OL community, um, this is how I, how I think about it. And so, what's special about the DM technology? Well, maybe I'll stop here and I can go into actually what I think is special about the DM. Is this directionally yes, what you guys wanted to hear? Yeah, definitely. Because yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think that that's what people are interested in. Clearly, you're running this from an ethical standpoint, but elsewhere we are seeing hundreds of millions of dollars thrown into these other projects. And yeah, why is there so much money being put in? What what is so special about this technology? Yeah, so I think this is what's um, what should be, you know. I think people are paying attention to why people are starting to pay attention to these technologies is that yes, you have a couple um, companies that are using either exactly these technologies. So Aptos is 
is the same technology as OL. So they forked from the end of line, the, the last commit that Facebook did on DM back in February. That's the first commit on the on the Aptos chain. And we're on that same commit on, on OL. And so Aptos has been doing some some maintenance and evolution there, and we're following it. Um, and but you know the, the bulk of everything that was created is uh, is Facebook's, and um, and we have it as well. It's a very complicated technology. It's not like you know somebody in the audience might be saying, "Well, hey, I'll just go and, and take this and fork it and do something." It's like, well, you know, it has it is very difficult technology. I mean, it's this. There are. I, it, it's the you know, Rust programming language is a, is a new language, and I think Libra is the largest Rust. Libra DM is the largest Rust project in all of GitHub. It's enormous. Um, OL wrote, we added 40,000 lines of code of our own original code. Um, and that's probably less than 1% of what all the code that's there. So it's like, it's enormous. Uh, hey, on, uh, on a point related to that, I saw that there was some chatter about people thinking about setting up validators and running validators. And and what Odie said about uh, you know this is a, this is a tough or a challenging code set. Uh, that's also true on the validator side of things. So if anybody is thinking about looking at this, uh, you know I run a validator. I'm not the world's most technical guy, so it's not impossible. Uh, but you know it's not like you can go spin up a node in 15 minutes and be up and running like you can on some systems. So uh, just just a real quick heads up if anybody's thinking about looking at the validator landscape, you're most certainly welcome. It is totally doable, but be aware it's more of a lift than what you may be used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah uh, we yeah. did have a question on that, so that wrapped that one up uh, real quick. So we'll we'll probably have a few more direct questions on the validator process at the end. Right. Good. Well, so when I say it's like it, it's an extremely sophisticated project. It's all original code. There's nothing borrowed from anywhere else in the, in the open source and Rust ecosystem. So, <clears throat> and it's and it's an extremely performant blockchain. It's got built-in concurrency, so you can have transactions happen on basically different parts of the of the state tree um, at, concurrently at the same time, which you don't have in, in any other blockchain, as far as I'm. Oh, Solana does have have some of this concurrency. Um, it has, you know, very expressive language, the move programming language that can, you know, write very safe programs very easily. And you can compose very you know, rich transactions, rich uh, you know, interactions with it. Um, so, I, you know, it's no wonder that, you know, these networks, Mistin and Sui, they have a, right now, a, you know, pre, pre-market, you know, value of, you know, I think two or $3 billion is their token market cap, their fully diluted token market cap. So, that, you know, these are going to be very, you know, the VCs are betting that these are going to be very prominent technologies. And so by extension, you know, OL should have a place in sort of the history of, of blockchains if, you know, those bets turn out to be true. So one thing I'll say about OL is that we don't have a price on our coin. We, we know there have probably been OTC deals around there, but nobody in OL, so this is part of our legal sort of advice that we've received. Nobody in Genesis, in OL of Genesis, um, is going to be trading coins, or they've been advised not to. 
um, so I won't be. Um, nobody is engaging with exchanges, but anybody, anybody wants to make markets on this, they, they probably can. But the generous people are, are not going to do that. So we have, so you know, yes, we have these very big blockchains that have very big valuations, and OL very explicitly has no valuation. Um, and one day there will be a market somewhere somebody makes, and we'll see what the price ends up over there. Um, but you know, where our what our bet is, you know, speaking financially, what our bet is is that these set of technologies are going to really empower entrepreneurs to build things very quickly, effectively, and turn and be able to turn them into, you know, create create new categories of startups in the world that are going to be very valuable. And so that's that's the bet. And that's where my interest is. My interest is in well, how do I provide the necessary infrastructure to launch what, for example, what Uber was for the iPhone, what is X going to be for blockchain? We haven't had that yet, I think generally as an industry. Um, and so I, I'm very hopeful that these kinds of technologies, super high throughput and current blockchains, very safe smart contract language, would be able to do that. So is, is that directionally what you guys were hoping to hear? Yeah, that's pretty good, OD. And uh, CM, I know uh, some of our team members have been working on some stuff in the validator area. Did you want to touch base and bring that up with these guys? Yeah, as highlighted by Rico Flan and OD, it is extremely complex. It's it's not as simple as some other protocols that you've maybe seen with other uh, blockchains that we've spoken about, where you can sort of click a few buttons and, and follow a guide on, on Medium and do it. What we are looking to do is, is hopefully help bridge that gap between what we've learned from OL, some dev and, and tech experts that we have in the community and, and, and try and open the doors a little bit there to people that are interested in it absolutely but we we've got more information on that on that coming up absolutely so again we and OL's Discord extremely helpful as well for anyone that's got further questions. A lot of what I have learned that this came straight from there, and certainly some of our community that's then assisted, and vice versa. So, yeah, it's we will have more information on that very shortly for anyone that is particularly interested in it. Um, but that no, that was a really good sort of rundown, and I got a bit more information there than. Uh, I expected OD, so I do appreciate that on the on the live call. Um, what about in, in terms of like the your sort of because I, I I guess the, the thing for me is you could tomorrow approach the VCs. Some may have even already approached you and and rake in the cash, and it would kind of go against some of the things that you stand for. Um, what what is the is regulation the, the main? reason for the sort of no VC funding side of things or is it a grander thing than that and what what about the, the sort of size of, of your team and and how many people are actually committing to this uh, through github and and how many people are involved in developing OL as well yeah I'll jump in and and uh, speak on some of the regulatory stuff uh, you know at the heart of it there was a desire to keep the uh, the the regulatory profile as low as possible so that that it would be a safe place for people to be able to build and do things um you know in acting in a truly decentralized fashion uh, in regard to things like you know figuring out 
uh, price discovery, et cetera, uh, tends to be quite complex. And it's really, you know, out of any one person's hands, uh, which is the essence of why it has a low regulatory profile. Um, and it also reflects our belief that the community should be in the driver's seat here, right? And the community should be deciding which way they want to go with these things. And that's part of the reason, too, why the VC option was not attractive to us. Uh, as soon as you add the VC pressure, uh, you know, the, the, the politics or the game, if you prefer, changes. Um, and having large token holders, whales, uh, other people to whom you are beholding, uh, does tend to have an impact on uh, how the project is shaped and the culture of the project as well. So, yeah, there was a bit of idealism there, for sure, uh, mixed in with a desire to provide a safe place. And that relates to, again, the regulatory environment that I just mentioned. Um, in terms of size of team, commit activity, et cetera, uh, Odie, that's all over to you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, I'll say some more words about regulatory. I, you know, if you read, I, I recommend everyone go and read OL's first post, first blog that we put out in November when we put our, our call to action for people to turn on their Carpe miners and validators. I think the thing that we want to innovate on is designing a better game. Um, we've gotten, as an industry, we've gotten into this pattern of raising as much money as we can from VCs, creating some kind of a proof of stake chain, and then finding ways of offloading without sort of disrupting the market, you know, and, and having your coin go up and then eventually selling on retail users. And, you know, I don't, I haven't participated in those games. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be part of a chain that does those things. And, and if I don't feel like it, I think there are a lot of other people that don't, you know, and so I think there's a big audience there. So I want to, I want to sort of just push back on, on the idea that, you know, we're doing this just philosophically for altruistic purposes. You know, I think there's a very commercial reasoning to why you want to, you know, have your have have this project not be run by by VC Silicon Valley um, sort of ethos is that you're going to be able to capture more people in the world to be part of your vision, right? I think I think there was a time where it was cool to say, "Hey, I raised money from Andreessen Horowitz." You know, I live in San Francisco. I raised money from Andreessen Horowitz. That's not cool anymore. You know, and um, and so I think if we're actually thinking about well, how is this going to be sort of commercially successful? It means going mainstream and getting more people like your mom and your brother and your sister to be part of a crypto community, to be holders of your token. And you can't do that if you're punching them in the face all the time, right? So rule number one: if you want to have happy customers. You don't scam them. And so we've got this situation where we've got all these, we've got crypto projects that, you know, you have to be an insider in Silicon Valley to get a term sheet, to get early tokens in this project. And then you have to be an accredited investor to be part of the first public sale and so on and so forth. And, and then what's well, proof of stake scheme. And so I don't want to get too much into the detail here, but inflation in these proof of stake schemes is just taxing 
So it's just taxation of the account holders, the depositors. So if you're not delegating in a proof of stake scheme, you're being taxed. Where does this tax go? Well, it goes to the people that have the capital in it. So I'm not saying this out of like some kind of altruistic, you know, hippie sort of situation. Like obviously the market wants pyramid schemes, but I want to go beyond the market of people that are okay with pyramid schemes. So how do I get my mother, my brother, my sister, the normies in, in the world to be part of your of your crypto platform, of your of your community? Well, you don't punch them in the face. So I think I think that's an important that's an important that's a good analogy, OD. And I think we just found out how centralized crypto was the past six months when everyone thought we were going towards decentralization. I think the uh, the events that have happened over the uh, last six months sum up what you're uh, what you're hinting at. Yeah, and and you know I think it is a good time for that. I think there's an audience now. You know when so put this differently in the bull market you can't there's nothing you can say that isn't number go up. If you, want to, if you want to get any coverage for your project in a bull market, it has to be some variation of number going up, and then people will cover you. In the bear market, there are other stories, right? And so there are other stories you can tell to, to you know, get your word out and grow your community. And um, I think right now we've had this spectacular, we've had, we've had you know, multi-billion dollar blockchains just disappear from one week to the next, and a lot of people get hurt. You know? So I think there's another, there, there are other stories available out there to be able to tell people, well, yes, you're right to be skeptical about crypto. If you think that crypto is a Ponzi scheme, you're, you're, you know, and, and you're, but, you, but you think the technology is powerful, you, right now you, you're going to be looking for another story. And we'd like OL to be that story. So, um, and again, not because we're hippies, but I think it makes just commercial sense. Um, yeah, um, and then touching on the inflationary part of a token on you guys, is there plans to either slow down the mining speed or a burning mechanism in the future? What is uh, your guys' plan for token inflation? Yeah, that's something we recognize as a problem uh, in, in the current design. And, and really, it's an intentional byproduct of the initial need to capitalize the project, right? But now we've reached the point where that's been done. Yeah, so I know Odie's going to jump in on this too. But the short version is we agree it's a problem. One of the things we're looking at right now as part of a comprehensive look at design while things are slow is uh, is addressing that problem. Uh, but Odie, I know you've got great things to say about this, so I'm going to shut up. Well, uh, let's see. I mean, I wouldn't characterize it as a problem. I mean, we know that blockchains need, I mean, any asset class needs to issue to be able to get anybody to join or to do anything. So there needs to be a, a bootstrapping phase in any project. And then the question is, well, how does that transition into a steady state? And then what does a steady state look like? And so I, we've said this in our community many times, and, it's like, and it shouldn't surprise people to say like, you know, Carpe and the inflation to miners at the beginning, this is a way of us bootstrapping in a decentralized way, actually, um, you know, re rewarding the, the right people for showing up. But because the coins have to come from somewhere, since there wasn't any investor buying, there wasn't any proof of stake at the Stars Network, there was no pre-mine. It's another thing that may not be obvious. You know, everybody who's in Genesis, right, of OL in November, started with a zero balance. You know, 
and everybody mined the same. Um, there were there's no there were no deals and no mines anywhere. So then there's a question: Where does the state come from? So you need this high this this phase of high inflation to uh, to you know distribute and get um, things capitalized. So people have been wanting to create community wallets. So we don't have any on-chain treasuries in OL. This is a legal decision, um, but there are a number of organizations and institutions have has, have set up what are called community wallets for OL development well projects, and people have donated to that. So that's a, an important, um, you know, destination for for funds. Um, and so I think you know, as we're as things are 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 stabilizing on the technology side for OL and stabilizing in terms of, of vision, and we're able to move now into the application layer, start building applications out. Um, we, 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 we need a plan to transition to the steady state economics of OL. And I have a lot of opinions about steady state economics, what these things should look like. Um, I don't think this, you know, I'm not gonna sort of tease anything here because we haven't really talked very much about it in, in the OL community yet, but, some proposals that, uh, that that people are working on because we want to present it a little bit more formally. But um, yeah, I, th I think I'll just go back to our initial point here. Like we want to be the most loved token in blockchain, uh, and you don't do that by punching people in the face. So one thing we need to sort out is like how do we do that without effectively proof of stake, um, and how do we make sure everything is incentivized correctly? So I'll, I'll, I might leave that there yeah and, and i suppose i suppose the the incentivization is one of the things i do think about i'm aware of how high developers like yourselves how high salaries can go and in situations like oh well you've got no vc backing and there's no clear sort of immediate incentive um, the the sort of size of your team, if you could touch on that, and 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 is it just a case of everyone involved in this? It's all about the greater good. It's about delivering something for for the people that, that the people can hold and own and, and look forward to the build in the future. Is that is that the gist of it? Well, um, yeah. So we have a, a very small engineering team, and I mean that's part of the attraction of the OL game to a certain extent is that we don't have to do R and D. And deep engineering, as Facebook, you know, was doing for us the whole time, and now basically Aptos is doing. Um, so, I've got a couple people that work full time on engineering stuff, and then basically the rest are volunteers. And so we we have different pickup teams for for different uh, projects. Um, and over the time, as we've had turnover, we had a lot of people from a university, a laboratory at a major um, North American university are contributing in the early days of, of OL. Um, and now we're starting, we're starting up some different programs to get um, new, and there are engineers in the OL community, but they're, they're just not familiar enough with our technology. So we're turning on different, effectively faucets, you know, we're creating different programs to pay people out to just to learn the technology. So learn the Rust programming and such. So, Anticipate we're going to start getting some more uh, engineering talent that way, but that's been so. I think just in you know, full transparency, th that is the hard thing about doing what we've done, is that 
yes, we have this trade-off where we have this very nice design space because of the regulatory overhead not being there, but we don't have cash. So we need to depend on people volunteering and, and, and basically earning coins from the different programs in OL, engineering programs, uh, the faucets that are, that are coming. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that, to take that amount of risk, and especially with the competition that's out there in OL. Um, so yeah, I think I think those are that's sort of the bigger question for OL is how to get uh, you know without being having a centralized foundation that has raised capital. How do we get a a you know long term engineering team rather than sort of a uh, rotating team of volunteers? And so that's on the horizon for us how to figure that out. And some people think that you know once there's a there's a token valuation, a token price in a market somewhere. That all of our programs, our engineering programs, start uh, start being able to be more effective at recruiting. And I think if there's truth to that. If if I could Go jump ahead. in just a sec, there was a there was a question asked that I wanted to get to, and it, and it led me to a larger discussion. Um, so just just sort of looking at, at what we've been talking about here across the last few minutes, in in a, in a more holistic way, if you will, you know, how do you? Here's a problem statement, a hypothetical for you. How do you launch a truly decentralized piece of infrastructure without an initial capitalization event? Right? How, how does that happen? Well, theoretically, <laughs> that's what we've done. If this turns into a successful, sustainable enterprise, which of course is our goal, we have successfully launched a decentralized piece of infrastructure without an initial capitalization event. And that, to me, is a big damn deal. And you know, a lot of times when I think about crypto ecosystems, I think about them as, as like a hydraulic system that, you know, it's one thing to plumb the lines, but until you've got fluid in the lines, nothing's going to happen. And until you pressurize the lines, nothing's going to happen, right? Well, that initial period of mining and producing coins was us putting the fluid in the lines, right? Now we're at a point where it's time to seal the system, pressurize the system, and make it work as a tool to incentivize align workers with incentives that are meaningful in some sort of financial terms and, and get the whole machine running properly. Making that transition is a bitch, and that's what we're going through right now. But I mean, that, that to me, holistically, is kind of the path that we've been on and the place that we are right now, and it's not a surprise. Uh, I mean, we knew this point was coming. At some point, this transition would have to occur. So, you know, there are challenges ahead for sure. The inflation challenge, the resourcing challenge, et cetera. But we've known those are coming and we have a plan for attacking those. And that's what's happening right now. And this relates to the question that was asked about, talk about the Hustle Karma DAO. Okay. I was just going to ask okay. that one. Okay, you saw it. Perfect. <laughs> the Hustle Karma DAO, that's one of our community wallets that Odie mentioned earlier. And like you said, we don't have a decentralized treasury. That would be a problem. Instead, we have these wallets that people can donate to that are dedicated to specific purposes. For example, there's one dedicated to engineering. There's another one dedicated to full-time workers. Uh, then there's also some really soft uh, specializations. For example, there's a Moonshots wallet. Uh, there's a wallet dedicated to providing social support systems for workers inside of the community, right? So we're trying to do some really innovative things with those community wallets. There's also a wallet called the Hustle Karma DAO. And what the Hustle Karma DAO does is it's basically our internal Gitcoin, 
right? So we manage workers, we create tasks, we give workers tokens in exchange for completing those tasks. And just like with Gitcoin, there's all kinds of tasks from writing blogs, managing social media, to of course, hardcore dev things, to the really interesting new initiative that Odie referenced a while ago, where we're incentivizing people to learn. So, you know, the way those mini treasuries, if you will, function is essential to understanding how OL functions and how this whole capitalization thing occurred. Uh, over to you guys. Nice. I think you should just sum that up that you want the coolest name DAO in crypto. <laughs> I think Odie gets get credit for that one. Odie, wasn't that your naming? Uh, yeah, I like it. I mean, there's a good Radiohead song. It is. Arma Police. So. Thought of that. Okay, so that covered the, uh, the DAO, the wallet setup. Um, some tokenomics. Um, CM, is there anything uh, you had in your back pocket for the boys that uh, the community hasn't touched on here? Um, I just want to say this has been so useful and insightful. Really great stuff, guys. I guess probably just what are your sort of short term and, and, and short term, medium and long term sort of development forecasts from here? If you can give any sort of insight on that, a bit of a, a teaser of, of things to come, maybe when they'll come. I understand you potentially restricted on it, but anything at all would be appreciated. Yeah, sure. I mean, so we have a number of technical roadmap items. Um, there's a big version upgrade that we're planning on doing to catch us up to, you know, the latest and best move technologies so we can really enter uh, an, the age of smart, of smart contract deployment on OL. And that should, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe in the next month we can have that ready for, for voting, basically, for, for people to to decide to adopt that that new technology. And I expect people will. Um, we and then following that, we have something I've been working on for a long time is bridges. So I think the best way to say this is is that you know the blockchains that are bridged to other chains are going to win. Um, you need have bridges into other chains. For OL, you know, we've never really gotten comfortable with the idea of third-party bridges, you know, wormhole, things like that. Um, and so we're having our own bridge and it's part of the protocol actually. And so we'll be rolling out the bridge to certain EVM chains um, in the future, eventually landing on Ethereum, but I think there's gonna be, a, a, you know, a rollout to progressively larger chains. So we'll start with something like Celo and then, you know, uh, Polygon, Avalanche, and then ETH. I think that's, I, I don't remember exactly which ones in what order, but roughly that. Um, so that that's gonna be our first place to have a bridge and, you know, start connecting OL into kind of DeFi use cases which people are interested in um have you guys looked at anything like uh rubik od where it's just basically you sell from one chain to another and everything's done in the background yeah i mean we've looked at a number of, of, of bridging technologies i mean we you know we have this policy we don't dox people we don't say who's involved yeah. in a well but um zucky is, is a person who, who has doxed himself so zucky zucky manian you know is, 
sort of leader of the cosmos uh, ecosystem, um, inventor of cosmos and IBC. So he's probably the biggest authority on bridges that I can think of in, in blockchain in general in, in the industry. So he's he's a co-creator of, of OL and he said from the beginning. So um, our bridge design is is being designed. He's he's participated in the design and vetted. So I think that's that's sort of the you know it's strong of an endorsement that it's, you know I can give for for our for the bridge strategy. Um, again, bridges are risky things. I got a word of caution out there. You know, it's going to be audited. It's going to be tested. But it's always you know all bridges are experimental. To consider them experimental. But I think that's going to be a big event for us. You know, um, being able to just participate in the wider DeFi ecosystem. Um, there are some other events that uh, just are, are going to be important to look out for as well. I mean, we're uh, I'm working on, I guess I can say, a a wallet for that will work for OL, but with the you know ability to have a game built into it. So we might be seeing a, a mobile game built on OL. Um, Possibly, I'd like it to be around the time that there's a bridge or before. So those are going to be important things that we're going to want to get, um, you know, help from the community on um, going forward. I mean, in the short term, while I have in the last few minutes here with you guys, I mean, where can you guys help the most? Is well, you know, jump in and be a validator. There's still opportunity to be a validator. Um, if you're an engineer, jump in. They're going to be very meaningful. There will be more meaningful rewards to engineers than to Validators, if you have engineering skills, even if you don't program in these languages, will get you up to speed. Um, and that's the best way to do it. And then soon, I mean, till the end of the summer, we're going to be able to you know, talk more openly about what OL is. And, you know, we like to be the underdog. We want to be under the radar for people and then, and then, and then surprise people with, with what we have. So that's just been generally how I've been, how, how, how I've operated. Hey, uh, I'm going to jump in. I'm looking at the questions channel and I see a couple of comments up there about how the validator system works. Uh, a couple of those comments aren't hundred percent correct, but I don't want to go down the whole path of explaining the vouching system right now. But one of the comments in there says, Hey, there's only 44 validators in the epoch today. Feels a bit like an old boys network. <laughs> I can understand why you say that, but there's also a reason for that. Uh, we've got right now 86 validators, okay, but there's only 44 in the set. Uh, when, oh gosh, it's been a couple of months right now, before the whole crypto winter, right before the whole crypto winter thing crashed down in our heads, uh, we had a couple of technical issues that were causing validators to fall out of the set and make it hard to get back into the set. And a number of people, because we went through a series of upgrades then, uh, set out and waited until those things were back in place. And then the crypto winter happened. And as we mentioned earlier, running a validator for us is, is a more complex process. It's more burdensome uh, than it is necessarily for other networks. And without price discovery, the incentives are quite low. So we saw some fallout in the set and some people who haven't rejoined the set or tried to rejoin the set. But is it an old boys network where, you know, we've just got our friends and neighbors in there? No, not at all. Uh, I don't know the vast majority of the validators, the vast majority uh, of the Genesis set. I think currently, uh, Odie, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think only about six or eight of the people that are in the current epoch are part of the Genesis set. I'm not part of the Genesis set, for example. 
so there's actually pretty good diversity in there. Uh, it's definitely not a, a boys club, uh, 100%. And I, I, that just kind of like stuck on me. And so I wanted to say something about it. Over to you guys. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, that's, that's, skip that one. I think that's the correct answer, the question to have on any, on any network. So I think, I think that's the correct reflex to have is that these things are uh, insider games and, um, and that's just the case of the crypto. But I, I just then urge you to ask any of your colleagues here that are validators on OL and to see what their experience was. So we've actually tried to make this as permissionless as possible, a BFT network. So in the BFT technology. So um, you know, it's different than this. It's different than than mining on Bitcoin because we need to have a steady set of validators. That's just how BFT works. But um, anybody can can come and and join. We, you, the one thing that we've introduced is that you just need to know four other people. We don't care who they are, but just to make sure that you're not a bot. And there are plenty of people on our Discord that will that will vouch for you. Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, we don't want, we did find someone who had like started like 10 different validators. And then we just said, hey, you sure that's what you want to do? And, and then they, they took it down, you know, but, but that doesn't work at scale. And so that's why we added this very and light in, vouch mechanism. Yeah, in a, in a permissionless, truly decentralized environment, uh, guarding against Sybils is a bitch, okay? In, in a nutshell, <laughs> in a nutshell, yeah, yeah. Um, I know one question that just popped up, and it's actually something I had myself, and you guys have obviously corrected, but these two questions kind of go together. What's uh, the biggest challenges and hurdles you guys have faced so far? And um, I guess one of the tech things was uh, a lot of people were mining and weren't were barely able to get to the eight in a day because of the validators falling offline and stuff. So uh, just sort of how did you guys get past that where the mining's running smoother now? And what other uh, hurdles and challenges have you guys had? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll let Rico answer a bit of this, but I think the biggest thing is always is always um, getting workers. You know, without having been capitalized, is getting people to consistently perform at a level that's that's required for this. Um, we, you know, and I don't mean, and this isn't meant to discourage people. I think, uh, you know. What appeals, OL has this double-edged sword, right? Which is every contribution is welcome. So you can come from wherever you are and spend as much or as little time as you want uh, and you can be a part of OL. And what that means is that we're able to bring in some really heavy hitting names um, to be a part of us and mostly anonymous, right? But very high profile people that, that work with us um, who probably might not be able to because of the company they work at ordinarily or people that we wouldn't be able to hire just because of, you know, just who they are, the stars that they are. So that's great. For that. But the other end of the sword is um, we can't, it's hard to get people to commit full time to doing something on a, on a volunteer basis. So that's always been our challenge. We anticipate that that'll, that will get better um, over time. Um, and we have some, some strategies that we're working on with that. So that's always the biggest challenge, but that's not, exclusive to us right that's it. that's every blockchain is in a war for talent all the time yeah, all developers time. are are scarce these days no matter what you're what you're working on whether it's web 3 web 2 
there's definitely a, a shortage of talent out there. Yeah, and then and so that and then that dovetails into the other thing that you were mentioning, which is sort of network instability. Yeah, I mean it's 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 annoying, you know, like networks of, on experimental on experimental technology do fall over, and that's just how it is. But I'll say another thing: we actually ran a network for a whole full year before we did Genesis in November. So. We, we ran a test net for a whole year without it being interrupted. So we have a lot of experience with experience technologies. Um, but you know, it's just it's just fact these these technologies, especially when we have uh, you know fewer engineers to go around when there are novel sort of issues on them. Yeah, and don't and don't forget, DM never launched. Right, there are never there any are cycles in a real world network environment with the DM software. Um, I would think that Aptos is probably really appreciated watching us and learning what's happened on our side of things. Uh, but uh, everyone's going through that right now. And, and in terms of the talent crunch, well, the talent crunch is even worse when we talk about looking for move developers, right? Because there aren't that many of them to begin with. And you know, there's people like Aptos sitting on 350 million cash right now that are able to attract the talent with that siren song of money. So yeah, those are, those are big challenges. But just real quickly to answer the initial question, what was the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge was bootstrapping an organizational structure onto a completely decentralized organization. That was really a pain and continues to be a pain. How do we get everybody to coordinate and work when we are starting with zero common mechanisms, uh, which is where we started? And uh, you know that's been a challenge for sure. I agree with that. I'll, I'll, I'll say one last challenge that we had that we did overcome, which I think is meaningful, is um, the biggest challenge that every blockchain has is regulatory. So I think we are the, as, you know, I can't, I, I'm not going to advertise, I can advertise what we've done, you know, how careful that we've tried to be in terms of, you know, not raising any money, not having a common foundation behind everything, not having sponsors to the project, never selling coins. Um, you know, we have this long list of things that we did. So we feel that, yeah, I, I, I can say my opinion, I think this is a very unique project because of, it, it looks different because we've, we've managed to try to follow all the, all the laws that um, you know, the SEC and regulators are, are asking people to follow. So, my opinion is just this is actually a very differentiated factor. Oh, well. And then, because you guys have been around a while and now you've seen the problems of early blockchains moving forward, the, one of their biggest issues has been uh, scalability. Do you guys feel you have that under control moving forward, seeing what you've seen past projects do, your expertise in helping with this project basically from day one? Um, how do you guys feel about uh, the scalability of OL uh, when things start building on it moving forward? Do you mean scalability in terms of transactions or in terms of the transactions? Uh, yeah, transaction speed, etc. Yeah, I mean, we could talk a little bit about. I, mean, I know we're over time here, but um, the most interesting stuff that's going on in transaction speed is happening in the DM ecosystem blockchains. Um, so Mistin, the researchers at Mistin have have an interesting, you know, take on on concurrency, and DM has a, and 
where we are and where Aptos is has a different take on concurrency. But I mean, both of those are going to get to low hundreds of thousands of transactions per second when done right, which, you know, lots of, there are a lot of blockchains that can say they can get to 100,000 transactions per second, but they mean that, you know, they're not, they're not writing anything to a database. They're not, they're doing it in a, in a very tightly controlled network. Um, we think that these technologies are going to get to low hundreds of thousands of transactions per second um, in real world situations. At least that's my, that's my, that's my interest in this technology. It's my hope. We'll see, but uh, we're not. We haven't seen any benchmarks with that, and and OL runs. You know, OL hasn't tuned for for speed. OL we're tuning for right now for stability and, and ease of use, um, and so the speed will be a future part of our of our concerns. And and we anticipate Aptos will solve that for, for us and for the general system for a short time. And then when the Mistin blockchain comes out, you know that technology is going to be widely available. The things Mistin is working on is, is going to be available to cosmos style chain so i think generally this is my 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 what i was saying earlier ol will have an advantage in having these technologies first and knowing these technologies first but over time it's going to be a commodity to have a blockchain that can do hundreds of thousands transactions for nice well on that sam do you have any uh, final words or questions for the team that uh, we can wrap this up on and let everybody uh, enjoy their evening yeah, thank you very much, Zeke. No, I, I think we can leave it there. Um, that has been a, a very fast but very, very insightful hour. So honestly, thank you so much, Rico Flan and OD. Like what you're doing in, in the blockchain space is incredible. And it, obviously, and you're extremely inviting and helpful to our community. And I understand you're what you're working on is probably very time consuming as well so i really appreciate you taking the time out to come here and give the community a bit of an insight and i'll, I'll get the recording uploaded and everything i really appreciate that guys uh, feel free to say your farewells to the guys and we can wrap it up there yeah just want to say thank you everybody thank you all of you who attended as well um you know reach out to me on discord if you want to engage and and uh, i'm happy to do so uh, but we really appreciate uh, giving us uh, a chance to talk about these things. Yeah, and, and again, taking the time yeah. to join us. Yeah, thank you, and and you know, um, from everybody from your community that's crossed over into ours are you know delightful people. So um, please keep them coming. And uh, anybody here who wants to know more about validator or engineering projects, uh, DM me. You know, just come into OL and DM me. Well, there you go, everyone. Yeah, there's your invite. Plans to uh, bounce some ideas off your OD down the road. So I know uh, some of our community has been working hard on some of that stuff. So I'm sure we'll be in touch shortly. Sweet. Let's do it. Great. Thank you. Well, we'll leave it at that, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed. Enjoy the rest of your evening and uh, the weekend when it comes. Thank you. See you all later. <laughs>